Aloha, you are listening to or watching Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Lockdown Podcast Network. I'm with Nathan Grubel from Draft Deeper today, and we are going to talk about the 2019, 2020, and 2021 draft classes. Who do we think is going to have the best season in the 2021-22 draft season? Here we go. All right. I'm with Nathan Grubel from Draft Deeper, a guy that I've been following on on Twitter uh, for much of the 2021 NBA draft. And and Nathan graduated from Temple University in 2016 with a journalism degree, uh, wrote for several draft sites, including Rant Sports and Hoops Habit, decided to pursue a career within basketball, attended the Pro Scout School, which I think is where I met uh, Nathan for the first time as well in Las Vegas back in the day. And then started Draft Deeper, a public scouting platform and podcast to give insight into the process of NBA scouting, as well as to create further discourse within the community to help us grow and become smarter at evaluating the game of basketball that we all love. And Nathan, uh, I've been following his his Twitter account and his website over at Draft Deeper. He's doing a great job. You can also follow him on Twitter at Draft Deeper and subscribe to the Draft Deeper podcast on Apple, Spotify, or YouTube. Nathan, welcome to the show. Oh, it's it's truly an honor to be on, Chad. I, I've obviously been following your work for a very long time, dating back to your days at, at ESPN. And the fact that I, I'm able to be on your show within the first year of me doing this podcast, I was also fortunate enough to have a mutual friend of ours, Coach David Thorpe, on my podcast as well this first year. It's it's an incredible honor. And thank you to you guys for being so nice to me and, and reaching out and being supportive and having me. So thank you. Well, one of the cool things that that I love about the work that you're doing and and so much of what we refer to now as draft Twitter uh, is is doing was it, it reminds me a lot of the early days when I was writing for a website called sportstalk.com. It's very entrepreneurial. We we're just getting started, uh, you know, scrapping, you know, for page views and for people to come and and listen to us. And so when I see uh, folks with that same sort of uh, that same sort of spirit, that entrepreneurial spirit out there trying, I have an affinity uh, for the work that you're trying to do. And, you know, obviously getting to go to ESPN for me gave me this huge platform. And, you know, I think part of one of my goals in this podcast is to create that platform for other people that are up and coming in the NBA draft business right now. Because for me, the more voices that we hear on this and the more different takes and the more different approaches that we see to the draft, the better I think collectively we get at being able to analyze what I think is actually something that's very fun, but very hard, which is how to get draft picks, right? Yeah, absolutely. It is definitely a process in and of itself. And, and in through those challenges though, we all end up learning more and we all end up getting better, creating new relationships, developing new relationships. So it's a business that I want to be a part of. I want to be in basketball for my life. And I know you feel the same way you're passionate about a lot of other things in life, but man, you know, you're, you're here doing this for a reason. So, I'm excited to be on today. Nathan, what's your favorite part of this process? I mean, what 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 do you really get into? I have some people, they love cutting, breaking down video. I, I get people that really love, you know, diving into analytics and having their own theories. I love people, people that just love the in-person scouting, the doing the research. Like, what's your favorite part of this process? Uh, I, I I really fell in love 
with the game itself and getting smarter at understanding the game of basketball, going back to when I went to Temple to be a journalism student, be a journalism graduate, I thought that I wanted to just write and cover the game of basketball going back to them. But as I studied and I got more in love with actually the scouting process itself and evaluating the younger guys coming into the league, I'm like, man, this is really what I want to do. And it's just, it's that grind, man. It's, it's watching the film. It's breaking everything down. It's talking with people, getting to build relationships in the game of basketball. Normally you wouldn't be able to, you know, always have in, in other, in other different platforms. So that is definitely excitable to me being able to talk with people such as yourself and find mutual interests and, cultivate some of those new relationships, I think is an underrated part of scouting that not everyone always talks about. So we're going to do something fun today. We, we, we bounced off each other a few ideas and, and kind of came across this one, which I think is sort of fun and something different that we haven't done in the podcast, which is we've got the class of 2019 led by Zion Williamson now in their, essentially their junior uh, seasons, their third seasons in the NBA. We have the class of 2020, led by LaMelo Ball, who is now in the their sophomore seasons, if you will. And then we have this rookie class from 2021, who we, we got to see play in the summer league, so it gave us a little bit of a taste about what we can expect. And so now we want to project forward to the 2021-22 NBA regular season. Which of these prospects, if we were to group those three draft classes together, the 2019 class, the 2020 class, the 2021 class, if we group them all together, who are going to have the best seasons next year? We're not necessarily arguing about who is ultimately going to have the highest ceiling, though we may talk about that when we're talking about the different players, but who is going to have the best season next year? Uh, and then we can talk a little bit about their futures as well. And so uh, I asked Nathan to put together a list of his top 10 guys. I've got my list of top 10 guys. We have not shared that list with each other. And so we're going to surprise each other a bit on this draft cast. And I usually let my guests go first. And so, Nathan, I'm going to let you kick it off with of the players that were drafted in 2019, 2020, 2021 combined. Who is going to have the best 2021-2022 regular season? Well, I hate to disappoint you. I don't think I'm going to surprise you with number one, and that would be Zion, who you let off with when we're talking about going all the way back to the class of 2019. I mean, last year he averaged 27 points per game on 61% shooting, 64.9% true shooting overall on a 27 PER. He's already one of the best, and, and somewhere between the top 10 to top 15 guys in the NBA, depending on how you want to rank them. But I, I don't think there's any question that he's only going to further ascend next year. And it's really interesting, especially when you look at some of the offseason moves that the Pelicans made. I mean, the point guard spot is now occupied by somebody in Devontae Graham, who isn't your most traditional setup guy. I think that they're going to lean even more into the idea of point Zion. They're going to put the ball in his hands even more. And when you just look at his game and you break it down overall, he doesn't have a pretty mid-range pull-up. He's still working on the three-point shot, obviously his free throw shooting. But outside of that, any other type of action you want to put him in, any other type of offensive involvement, he can pretty much do it all. Anything you can think of to get him downhill, he's a menace when getting to the basket, and he's going to convert. So, yeah, he, he's, he's going to have a spectacular season next year. I'd be shocked if he wasn't the best guy out of any of the guys we can mention today. Do you think that he has the highest ceiling of any of the guys that we're going to mention today? At the end of the day, when we look back at their total careers – is Zion going to end up number one on this list between 2019, 2020, and 2021? I mean, he's certainly the guy that I've 
felt the most about going all the way back to his high school days. I mean, when you turn on that film, he, he blew up all over social media because of the dunking and the exciting things he could do in transition. But if you actually got a hold of any of the game film, you saw his ball handling ability. You saw how comfortable he was making decisions for himself as well as for others. You saw some of this special stuff offensively. And then even to an extent at Duke, you saw some of the defensive playmaking as well, which is another area that people would look to as far as his improvement. But he actually, he was not terrible defensively last year, at least by the metrics. So while there is room for improvement, I still think he can be a two-way force in this league with everything he can do offensively and then defensively from a playmaking perspective. So when we look at all these other guys, I was not as confident in evaluating these guys from a ceiling perspective than I was with, with Zion. So yeah, I think he's the most true fire guy out of all of them. And especially if he becomes point Zion. If that's <laughs> ultimately what he is going to to be in the NBA, and and I see the potential there, and I think you could see it you know, even really, if you went back to high school and college, you could see some of that there. But if that's where he is going to evolve, at, you know, as a player right now, we talk all about uh, these playmaking wings and their ability to do uh, defend multiple positions and do multiple things on the court. Zion at his size, strength, athleticism, that he's able to do that sort of in the way that LeBron James was able to do that um, at, at his size and elite strength and athleticism. The, the sky's really the limit, especially if he continues to improve as a three-point shooter, which is obviously one of the areas where we would like to continue to see Zion um, improving. I think the hesitancy has always been, at least from draft Twitter, will his body hold up? Will yep. he be able to have a long career? Or is this going to look a little bit like Blake Griffin, where uh, you know his body is just going to break down based off just the stress that it goes under um, at his size and his weight in the NBA. And that, that's probably, to me, the only thing that keeps him from being the best prospect out of these three draft. Uh, so as excited as we are about LaMelo and as much as people went crazy over Cade and, and, and Jalen Green, I think they're going to have a hard time catching Zion if he's healthy, if he stays healthy. I just, I just think the combination of the athleticism – combined with the strength and then feel for the game that he has, the basketball intelligence that he brings on the court, it's it's like making a player, and I, I said this with LeBron, like you make him in a lab. Like, you know, these are these are the, the types of players that you put together that they're just not going to come along uh, because you can find guys that are going to have the athletic ability without the feel or have the feel without the athletic ability, but to combine it all together, I think is, is truly remarkable. So yeah, he's number one for me as well. And I believe he'll stay one on this list as long as he can stay healthy, uh, which I think is, you know, a legitimate question that people are going, are going to have. All right. Well, he was the, I think the obvious number, I don't think anybody who's listening to this podcast is going to be surprised or fight with as much uh, on, on Zion. So I think maybe the real question starts at two. Yep. Who's your guy at, at number two? So it's between, it was between two guys, and this was not an easy decision for me to make, but I am going to go with John Morant at, at number two. Reason being is that, I mean, we saw how special he could be against the Utah Jazz last year in the NBA playoffs, even though his team didn't win. The fact that he was able to beat Golden State to get into the playoffs and then have some of the performances he did at Utah – I mean, the, the sky is the limit for him at the point guard position. Really, it, it's a matter of can the three-point shot come around? Can he be more efficient from the free throw line? And 
can he honestly offer a little more finishing around the basket as well? Some of his synergy percentiles didn't exactly speak kindly to that aspect of his game as well. But he has all the hesitation moves. He has the setup stuff. He's one of the best passers that we can talk about today. Um, really, it, it's more of, again, the outside shooting, how much of a complete offensive threat from a scoring perspective can he become? And then defensively, listen, he has that attitude. He has the swagger. He's very intense. He will be as, as good of a competitor in this league as we might be able to have for a long time. And I think that those intangibles really give him the edge for me at number two. Uh, I also had Jaw at number two. I'm not sure he'll end up in the in the long run in the career at number two, though I think he's got a, a legitimate chance to be. I think, as you pointed out, the jump shot is probably going to ultimately be the difference maker on what his ultimate ceiling in the NBA is going to become. But I, but I agree with you. I mean, you don't want to read too much into one playoff series. And, and I know that I know there's a tendency to do that and in ways that aren't sort of realistic, but it really felt to me like this was a coming out party for him, the confidence level with which he played the game and what, hopefully that carries over uh, into the next season. I'm not saying he lacked confidence in the first place, but when you drop 30 uh, and eight assists, uh, five rebounds a game on the Utah Jazz uh, as a guard where the whole focal point of the defense was trying to stop him, I really think that you're going to see uh, a player who is going to really take off next year. I think he's going to be a star in this league. And I agree with you. The question mark will ultimately be, can he get that, you know, 32%, you know, three three-point shooting that that we saw, you know, happen in the playoffs? Can he nudge that up to 35, 36%? And I think if he can just nudge it up a little bit, and maybe the free throw shooting to me it indicates that that he can, uh, I, I then I think he's gonna be hard to catch because again, the elite athleticism, his ability, his drive, the motor that he has. Uh, you know, athletes like Jaw just don't come along every day. And there's a few other ones that we're going to talk about probably oh, yeah. uh, that, that are going to rival him athletically. Uh, but I, I just think he's fantastic. And definitely for me, number two on this list next year. And then I want to see how a couple of the next cu- couple of guys that we're going to talk about develop over time, whether they're actually going to be able to catch him. Okay, so it's we, we've stayed in the 2019 draft. That makes a lot of sense. They've been they have more time in the league. It, it would make sense that they're going to have a better 2021-2022 season. Do you stay with 2019 with pick three, or are you going to move off that one? Now we're gonna we're gonna bump up a year. We're gonna go to Lamelo Ball at number three, and we're probably going to be in agreement on this one as well, but it, it, it's hard not to be in agreement when you go back and you watch the film last year. Everybody knows about the special passing ability that he has, his ability to find anybody in transition, his 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 knack for making something happen even in the half court. His jump shot mechanics are a little wonky, but um, I, I'm very confident he's going to make the improvements to his shot. Really, the thing that stuck out for me when I went back to watch some film was him defensively. Um, he, he's one of the better 
defenders in terms of his long-term projection I think that we may be able to talk about on this list he's always active he's always looking to rebound the basketball on the defensive end he stays with his man he he's picks up switches very well he recognizes what's going on everywhere else around him he keeps his head up on a swivel he looks for steal opportunities the fact that he's active on that end of the floor coupled with that he also has the size to be able to switch and defend multiple positions as well. That gives him a versatility that not a lot of these other players have when it comes to the defensive end. So we can talk about all of his offensive upside and what he brings there, but really that can be another way that he stands out. And I'm curious to see his further development on that end of the floor as well. I'd like to see him be a little more aggressive offensively and transition himself, look to push the ball, maybe score a little more there. But when you have his hit ahead vision, his his knack for making something happen and making somebody else look good on some of those ridiculous three-quarter court lob passes, it's, it's easy to understand why he doesn't um, look to push the ball further down the court himself. So, yeah, I really like LaMelo Ball's promises at number three. The interesting thing for me about LaMelo is Zion – I think there was consensus that he was going to be a stud in the NBA. I wasn't actually covering the 2019 draft. I was on my ESPN uh, hiatus as uh, they uh, had gone through those layoffs. But I, even in high school, it just seemed to me, I, and I know Zion wasn't ranked that high by some of the other draft outlets sort of coming out. It was like, you just, if this guy gets it, he's just going to be a monster in the NBA. Ja, by the end of it, you could see it. LaMelo was so divisive in the 2022 draft, yep. and, and maybe it had to do with him playing in Australia. I think actually most of it had to do with what his last name was and his father and yep. uh, you know all the sort of baggage that was there. But I had NBA scouts who had him ranked in tier one. He was a he was the t- top, top of my board, but not ranked tier one, ranked tier two. But I had teams ranking him in tier five. I had teams say that they wouldn't touch him in the first round. And that was not a majority opinion, obviously. It was a minority opinion. He slides the three in the draft. And so this is one where it was so evident, like by training camp almost, that, okay, this was wildly wrong, uh, yep. right? Like this, this guy is special. And then, you know, people are like, oh, look at, look at how well he passes. Like, I'm amazed. I'm like, well, that part was obvious. I mean, that was the part that you absolutely could see. I think it was the shooting and the defense that were the bigger question marks sort of coming out of Australia. Is there a lesson to be learned here from LaMelo? Uh, You know, I know it's only been one season, but given that I think this, there should have been more consensus than there was from a scouting perspective, like this is where I always kind of want to look back and say, where did we miss out here? Because it, it was so clear so early that there shouldn't have been any debate about who the number one pick in this draft was and and why. What do you think we learned from the LaMelo saga? It's very hard to put the lesson that I would probably have in practice from, from somebody with my perspective, right? Somebody who's not always talking to other NBA scouts every single day, who's not getting to know these players in person. But there is an off-court element here that, that makes a lot of sense to take a lesson away from, and it's that – when you watch LaMelo on the court, going back to some of his younger days and then even over in the NBL, you see this guy who wants to put on a show and it really looks like in some aspects he's playing this game more for himself, not necessarily just his teammates. And yeah, sure, he racks up a lot of assist numbers, but the flair and, and the passion that he plays with, it, it seemed more selfish um, than I think what, what initially we've seen in the NBA so far. And now you see him come into Charlotte 
Um, th that might not have been something you picked up on unless you actually talked to him and got to know him as a person, somebody who was a team first guy. A everything he does in Charlotte to, to the majority of an extent, he, he wants to make everyone else around him better and he wants to put forth the effort to play team first. And that comes back to some of the stuff on the defensive end as well, where we'd evaluate him and you'd look at some of the film from the NBL, he'd seem disinterested, disengaged on the defensive end, yet he's much more engaged, much more willing to be coached in the NBA and you, you there, there's many different things that come along with that. It can be individual maturity as well, but that, that's a thing. I, I think Charlotte was able to talk to him and get to know him more as a person in the pre-draft process, whether it, however it was handled zoom in person, et cetera. But those are really the things, unless you're talking to him and the people around him and you get to know him, those are things you can miss out on if you only look at the tape and only look at the numbers. Yeah, and I, and I think that I think you're absolutely right. I think that most of the hesitation was a character issue, yep. but it was a character issue without really any basis. It yep. was his father. I don't want that circus. You know, people would say like I I don't like the whole brand, uh, right? That that comes with a ball brother, and I think one of the things that you take away is just like. We don't look at, we're not going to evaluate LeBron James's son and give him extra points for being the son of LeBron. You just can't do that, right? We know that sort of professional athletes, their offspring often just don't become the same players. We've got Gary Payton, uh, you know, junior in the, in the league right now, right? Like they're not going to be the same. It, it, it really think is, is a great point too, that you have to really divorce that. And, yep. and think about the individual and not think about his brother, not think about his dad. And, and while some of that background and, and element is relevant, everything that I heard out of Australia pre the draft was that he was a good teammate, he was coachable, he worked hard. Uh, you know, all the things that you want to hear out of, out of this young man were there. And I, I just think that that Charlotte got a steal and, you know, good for Michael Jordan. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I thought that, you know, I, he struggled. Yeah, he struggled as a general manager. He's an amazing, maybe the best, if not the best player of all time. He struggled as a general manager, but I like what he's doing in Charlotte now. I liked, I liked his 2020 draft. I like this 2021 draft as well. He's putting some athletes on the floor. This is going to be one of the more exciting teams, I think, to watch in the NBA. And, and for the first time, I, I feel like there's a chance, uh, right? Like Charlotte's, mm -hmm. Charlotte's got a real chance right now. Okay. Well, when we return, we're going to look at picks four, five, and six from the 2019 through the 2021 draft on how they're going to perform uh, right away. But before we do that, I want to talk to you about one of our sponsors, Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Save time and money when using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30, 50, even 100% more for the same parts from chain store or car dealership? They have everything you can need, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com.
I'm back with Nathan Grubel from Draft Deeper, and we're talking the best players out of the 2019, 2020, 2021 NBA draft and how they'll perform in the 2021-2022 NBA season. You can follow Nathan over on Twitter at Draft Deeper. Subscribe to his Draft Deeper podcast on Apple, Spotify, or YouTube as well. You can also follow me over at Chad Ford Insider, as well as subscribe to my newsletter on Substack, nbabigboard.com, where we're doing a ton of stuff right now. We just did uh, the top uh, 12 returning college players to the draft. I uh, did on Thursday a number of trades that could still uh, theoretically happen, including a big Bradley build of the Hawks trade that was sort of brought up with Raphael Barlow uh, in our podcast. Lots of great stuff over there at nbabigboard.com. All right, Zion's off the board. Jaws off the board. LaMelo's off the board. You and I have agreed. One, two, and three. We have the same list so far. Will it continue at number four? Again, we are evaluating who is going to have the best 2021-22 season from the draft class of 2019, 2020, 2021. Who's the fourth guy on your list, Nathan? This may shock some people. This might shock you. This might be where I throw this exercise off the rails, Chad, so bear with me. But um, Kevin Porter Jr. is where I'm going at number four. Okay. So, <laughs> does that surprise you a little bit? No, not at all. Uh, I'm a big Kevin Porter Jr. fan uh, as well. He's just one spot lower on my board. Okay. Uh, so we'll talk about that in a minute. We will finally have a bit of a divergence here and let's see if it's just a flip flop. Uh, so t talk to me about this one. So Kevin Porter Jr. had a little bit of a coming out party last year, um, particularly in that 50 point 11 assist game against the Milwaukee Bucks. That's really what exploded all over the internet. And you looked at, when you go back and watch that game, you see just the ease at how he's able to score the basketball from all three levels, all of his footwork, his finishing moves, his ability to get into that mid-range shot. Essentially, if you set him a screen at the top of the three-point arc, he can do anything he wants manipulating that ball screen, and he's one of the more engaging pick-and-roll players I think that we can talk about today. Um, the range on his jump shot, his passing ability, he needs to get better at making more of those simple reads, and I think that's something he'll be able to do in time with more experience because really that's one of the bigger things that, that holds him back was that he had a rocky start to his NBA career. Now he lands in Houston. He has a lot better of a support system around him. He has another guy next to him and Jalen Green, who I'm sure we're going to talk about at a later point in this podcast, but he has somebody next to him in the backcourt who – really wants to work as hard as he possibly can in the game of basketball. He can look Kevin Porter Jr. in the eye and say, hey, I'm as good as you. You're as good as me. Let's make this happen. Let's be a dynamic duo together. Let's really make this work. Um, and, and then the other point, the reason why I think he's going to make such a big jump this year is I think Houston's done a much better job at actually putting a team around Kevin Porter Jr. that has multiple guys who can create on the ball. That's something he really did not have a lot of last year. I mean, Going back to that Milwaukee game as an example, I mean, he shared the court a lot with guys like Kelly Olynyk, um, Christian Wood, Armani Brooks, Jay Sean Tate. And while they're NBA players, they're not creators. They're not guys who can go out and make something happen always for themselves or for others. It's, it's miraculous that he was able to have that kind of a game and have some of the other performances he did throughout the year when you take that into account that he's really the only guy on the court that can do that. Now you add a Jalen Green. You added Josh Christopher when he's going to be ready to contribute in that big minutes. Alper and Shengun, people might 
not be the biggest fans of Alper and Shangun, but he's another guy that has passing chops. Usman Garuba will have passing chops out of the short roll. So you add so many other options offensively around Kevin Porter Jr. I think it's going to help accentuate what he does well. And in turn, he's going to be able to leverage more of those creation abilities and make those other guys better as well. So I'm expecting a huge breakout season in more of a starting role for Kevin Porter Jr. I think, I, I think that... You know, one of the things that we have to factor in here is opportunity and fit, right? Who is going to have the opportunity to put up the numbers and are they in a fit where they're going to be playing to their strengths? And I think that's the argument for Kevin Porter Jr. right now is that the opportunity is clearly there. If you look at his, if you look at his numbers last season for Houston and, and you take the kind of per 36, um, which is you know what he'll likely be averaging next year. It's 18 points a game, seven seven assists a game. Uh, you know now the turnovers were high. Uh, mm-hmm. The three point shooting needs to continue to improve. But if he and Jalen Green buy into this, and I think that's one question: Will they both buy into working together? Can he be a point guard uh, at the next level? But the opportunities there, I think, and the talent is there. And mm-hmm. so now it's just a question of, am I going to buy into this? And if, if, if he does, you know, Kevin Porter Jr., who slid in the draft because of, you know, concerns about, you know, off the court issues, who, who left uh, Cleveland in part for the same reason, this is his chance, right? To right now, he, he probably doesn't have a, another mulligan uh, left. And, and so this is his chance. And I think, if he responds the way that I think everybody in Houston thinks he's going to respond and hopes he responds, he's going to be pretty amazing. I actually picked his rookie backcourt mate at four, Jalen Green, uh, to be number four in this list because I everything that I saw in the summer league told me that I think this is going to be the rare rookie that's going to average 20 points a night in the NBA. The way he's been shooting the ball, if he shoots at anything like that at the next level, it's going to be... Uh, he, he's he's going to be fire. He's got a huge chip on his shoulder. Uh, whether it's real or manufactured, the great ones, whether that was, again, Michael Jordan or Kobe or whatever, they manufacture these. I've, I've been disrespected that I wasn't taken number one. I'm going to prove to the world who I can be. And, and I just think that he, again, has the opportunity and the talent to be a 20-point a night scorer in, in the NBA as a rookie. I, I think to me, he's the favorite to win rookie of the year. I think he's going to have a ton of highlights. I don't think he's going to help Houston win basketball games next year. I, I don't, I don't think he and Kevin Porter in the background are going to do much to move the needle as far as wins and losses for, for yep. Houston. But if you're just looking at on the court production and that's sort of what I'm thinking about right now, not whether did I lead, you know, my team to the playoffs it's hard for me to look down this list and say anybody is going to have a, a better shot at a monster season uh, than, than Jalen Green as a rookie. And, and I usually am a guy that says rookies are terrible their first year and you got to be really patient with them. And, and I suspect that we'll see some of that from Jalen Green. But I even saw in the summer league game against Cade, which I didn't think was his best game. I think that he struggled a bit in that game. He still found a way to hang 23 points uh, in that game when things weren't really going his way. And that really sort of showed me, okay, even on a down night for Jalen Green, he still got the opportunity to be a 20-point-a-night you know, scorer in the NBA. And so I, I, that's my guy at four. Where did you have Jalen Green on, on your board? 
I have Jalen Green down further. I actually have him at eight on the board, okay. and that's really only because I think that some of these other guys ahead of him, in my opinion, are going to take steps forward, and they also have more experience in the league to do so. But everything you said about Jalen Green, um, Chad, is is right on the money. And when you when you talk about some of his struggles in that game against Cade, for example, that first half, he, he did struggle. But then in the second half, he, he's one of those guys – that believes he's the best player on the court, no matter who he's up against. And when you have that mindset, obviously that's a plus, but how many of these NBA guys also have that level of talent and that athletic package to back that mindset up as well? So he plays with a ton of confidence, but it's also justified in how he approaches the game. And some of the shots that he made out in summer league, it's a very small sample size, but some of those shots will translate to the NBA. I just don't know how efficient of a player he's going to be in his rookie year. That's why I, I have him down a little further. But in terms of his upside and his potential, I mean, I had him this year in, in a tier one with Cade of guys who I could potentially see as MVP caliber players down the road. So you're, you're also talking to a guy who's, who's very high on Jalen Green as well. Yeah. And upside for me, he, he could easily end up being number two out of this group between 2019, 2021. I'm not sure because of the lack of size that he surpasses Zion. Uh, you know, again, if, if Zion stays, stays healthy, yeah. but could he surpass jaw? Yeah. I, I actually, yeah. I actually think it could. Um, it might be tough because Jaw also is going to be racking up those assists in a way that I feel like Jalen Green's uh, game is a little one-dimensional right now, and, and that's part of where he's going to have to grow in his game. And so I wouldn't put him on that level yet, but I think he has the potential to get there. All right, so you had him eight. Fair enough. Uh, who did you have five then on your board? I have R.J. Barrett at number five. Okay. Um, and, and he's a very divisive player in multiple circles, well, likely a lot because he plays for the New York Knicks, such a, a highly evaluated market, a lot of noise that always comes out of New York. But he took some strides last year, particularly on the defensive end. And when we look at a lot of these younger guys and, and how some of these guys can impact their teams and impact winning, obviously defense is one area that you look at. And having somebody to coach you up like a Tom Thibodeau, that helps playing a lot of minutes, playing every single game last year. That also helps just getting more experience on an NBA court, going up against better matchups night after night. But his defensive intensity, his effort, his length, they were all apparent last year. And then offensively, he still has a lot of warts shooting the basketball. But one area that he did get a lot better in was on catch-and-shoot looks. And if he's going to be playing more off the ball, if, if Kemba Walker is going to be healthy and being more of that primary curator for that team, R.J. Barrett has to be able to look to do some things off the ball in the catch-and-shoot game gave me a lot of encouragement. But I think as long as a lot of the, the, the rumors are true, a lot of the words true that he is looking to be a more ambidextrous finisher, he's really working on that right hand in the offseason, looking to do a little more there. I, I see a lot of the upside offensively. I mean, he scored 18 points per game last year, and he shot 40% from three. Um, Coach Thorpe has talked about on, on multiple True Hoop podcasts now that he was one of the better shooters from three in the second half of the season. So as long as that trends upward, as long as a lot of the defensive outlook trends upward, I see him breaking that 20 points per game barrier next year. And I think that that's going to be a tough number to crack for a lot of these guys below him outside of a few, like a Jalen Green, maybe outside of another name that I'm sure I'll mention next. But 
Um, yeah, I really think that R.J. Barrett did a lot of good things for the New York Knicks, and we know that he's impacted winning because that team made the playoffs, and they're likely going to make the playoffs again. So putting those two things together, that's why I have him in number five. I had him six. Uh, I had Kevin Porter Jr. five. And so, you know, we already talked about him. So I, I kind of have him in that same spot. I, I totally agree with that analysis. I I was I was hesitant here, though. It, it took me a little. I was a bit of a skeptic after his rookie year for the Knicks. It took me a while to really warm up to what he was doing during his sophomore year, especially, as you said, during the second half of the season, because to me, the shooting is so critical uh, to his success and to see that improvement, I want to trust it. I'm not a hundred percent sure that I trust it and, and want to obviously see two seasons of him, yep. not just a half of a season shooting the ball that well. But if, if that's real, uh, when you combine the other little things that he does defensively can be a, you know, secondary ball handler for your team and what have you that the total package of RJ eclipses what some of the other prospects that we're going to be talking about, I think can, can do next year. There might be a guy or two who can score more points a game or shoot the ball a little bit better or what have you. But when you think about the total package, I see it there as well. It's the guy that I probably of our six have the least confidence in. That seems weird because Kevin Porter jr is on my, on my (laughs) list and I probably shouldn't be super high or confident there, but I just, I, I see it. I want to see it. I want to see it continue and hope that it just wasn't a flourish that kind of went down in the second half of the season. And that, you know, with Kimball Walker on the court, if he's healthy and, and playing a big role there, that that doesn't disrupt what he had going uh, last year as well. You know, the chemistry of this team is going to change a bit. And, you know, some ways that can really enhance a player's skills. Sometimes it can detract from them. And, and so that's something else that, you know, I'm, I'm penciling him in at six, uh, but this is one I'm probably not going to use the Sharpie with like I would with Zion or Ja or LaMelo or frankly, even Jalen Green. Uh, so he's there for six for me. Who is your sixth guy on, on your board then? My sixth guy is Anthony Edwards. Um, yeah. Somebody who he had a really good rookie year last year. He, he pushed to be rookie of the year, but LaMelo was in his class and with the way LaMelo was, energizing his team, energizing fan bases. I mean, it was clear that he was going to be the rookie of the year at some point. But Anthony Edwards had a a pretty decent rookie year. Obviously, he struggled with efficiency in multiple different areas. He wasn't um, a, a good defender by any means. But I think that he's going to take steps in his second full year in the league from an efficiency standpoint offensively. I think that he's a guy who is willing to be coached. He's willing to be a sponge and soak up more of the game. I think he'll take a lot better of shots next year than he took in his rookie year. And then I think on the defensive end, it's really about engagement for him because he's one of the most powerful athletes we can talk about today. He has great size for his position. One of the better athletes, like I said, Um, When when his engagement on the defensive end really comes around, when he puts in the time to study where he needs to be, both on ball, how he needs to engage those guys, as well as off the ball and being more aware of what's going on around him, a lot of that comes with just playing more NBA games and logging more minutes. And clearly he he took off last year with his ability to make all of these crazy step-back threes. When he gets downhill, he's obviously very hard to stop. Even if you go back and watch some of the film and, and clip some things together, he had some some nice po- post moves as well. He'd be crab dribbling some guy deep in the post, and then because he'd have a smaller guard on him, he's able to overpower them pretty easily. So there's, there's multiple avenues and rooms 
for improvement for Anthony Edwards. And the fact that we can point to these different areas, but at the end of the day, he averaged 19.3 points per game as a rookie. How many rookies are actually able to to get to those numbers and justify the playing time, especially given some of the shot selection issues that you might take breaking down his film? So he's number six for me, and he could be as high as four. Uh, another guy that I'll mention next, the guy I have below him, could be as high as number four as well. It's a lot of projection that we're doing, Chad, and it's it's very apt of you to say that the confidence we might not have in a Kevin Porter Jr. and R.J. Barrett, we're doing a good job projecting, but it, projection is really all that it is. Anthony Edwards could be a guy that, that surprises, and who knows? Maybe he's averaging like 24, 25 points per game, and he's helping the Timberwolves rack up more wins than we think. He might. Uh, this was my debate. He ended up seven. And, and the guy that I probably spent the most time debating, like you said, four to seven, where is he at? And you can make an argument. If you want to talk about second half of seasons, mm-hmm. in April, 21 points per game, five rebounds a game, got, got it up to 34% from three. In May, it was averaging 27 points a game, four assists a game, got it up to 41%. Um, from three-point line, that's how he ended his rookie season. Some rookies hit a rookie wall. Anthony Edwards in the second half of the season, I think, started to figure things out. I actually didn't think he was very good early on. I expected that. I One yep. of the reasons I was a little bit lower on Anthony Edwards was I thought that the learning curve was going to be steeper for him and that the adjustment that he was going to have to make where he seemed to almost seemingly totally rely on his elite athletic tools uh, and and then, you know, these these crazy step back, you know, 20 foot mid range jump shots that he liked to take. Uh, he was going to have to adapt. And he did. And and so, you know, even as we're talking now, I'm thinking to myself, you know, why didn't I take that more into account uh, when, you know, sort of projecting how he ended the season where there was a clear trajectory the entire season of where he's going to go? I do think that feel for the game, defensive effort, yep. shot selection. There's there's still a lot to work on there. But could he explode in his second year? And and did he start to figure that out at the end of the first year? I, I think those are legitimate questions for Anthony Edwards. And while I don't think he's going to catch LaMelo in this class, I certainly think that there's a path for him too. Uh, because again, the one thing that LaMelo lacks that Anthony Edwards has is those elite physical tools that just help so much. And we think about the other guys that we've been talking about on this list, whether it's Zion or Ja or Jalen Green, all sort of elite physical tools that allow them to, to sort of bubble up in the class. That's that's going to be LaMelo's weakness. That's, to me, Anthony Edwards' strength. I worried about he was the opposite of LaMelo, like what was his feel? You know, how is he going to be able to see through things? And so far, so good. Uh, I, I'm just really impressed with what I've seen from him so far. Yeah, yeah. The best thing about Anthony Edwards last year, the, the best thing that I saw, and then something he can take into and improve on in, in year two is – Everyone wants to point to that massive poster dunk that he had along the baseline, but the aspect of that dunk that wasn't talked about enough, in my opinion, was he passed up a jump shot to actually get to that dunk. And being able to attack the rim, get downhill more, that's what's going to help him average more points per game. He only took 3.8 free throw attempts per game last year. And when you're talking about somebody who has a linebacker's build, 
at 6'5". He needs to leverage more of that athleticism and be more aggressive in attacking the basket and get to the free throw line. That's how the best scorers in the NBA add efficiently to their scoring totals. It's a big development that took part for Jason Tatum's game over the last few years. That's probably the best example to give when he started getting to the free throw line more. He was averaging more points per game and it opened up so many other things to his offensive attack. And, and he was already a pretty complete offensive player from all three levels. So yeah, that's that's going to be the thing to monitor with Edwards moving forward. All right. When we return, uh, we'll talk about our players 7, 8, 9, and 10 uh, that we think are going to have the best 2021-2022 NBA seasons. You're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Did you know the Built Bar has nine delicious flavors plus the occasional limited time flavor? When you talk to Built Bar fan, they're definitely passionate about their faves. If you don't know the Built Bar flavors, well, you're missing out. There's coconut, coconut almond, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel. There's something for everyone. I'm a big coconut guy as well. It tastes like a Mounds Bar. It actually has that sort of texture. It's moist. It's chewy. It's delicious. It tastes like a candy bar, but one of the great things about it is that it's actually healthy too. There's 17 grams of protein, only 130 calories, only four grams of sugar, only four grams of net carbs. Order today and get that raspberry or mint brownie or whatever you like. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCK15. You'll get 15% off your first order. Use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. All right, I am back with Nathan Grubel from Draft Deeper, graduate of Temple University, now running his own public scouting platform. You can check it out over at Draft Deeper. You can follow him at Twitter at Draft Deeper. You can subscribe to Draft Deeper Podcasts at Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. You can follow me over at Twitter at Chad Ford Insider, as well as you can check out my newsletter. We're publishing a couple of times a week, nbabigboard.com. Last week, we had our top 12 returning college uh, basketball players that are draft prospects for the 2022 NBA draft. We had some interesting trades, including some draft prospects from the 2021 NBA draft, including a blockbuster that sent Bradley Beal uh, to the Hawks and sort of thinking about some potential trades that might be out there before the regular season. So much good stuff over at NBABigBoard.com. All right, Nathan. We're making our way through who is going to have the best 2021-2022 NBA season from the classes, the draft classes of 2019, 2020, 2021. We've gone through six players. Who's number seven on your board? So this is a projection for me based around opportunity and how much starting playing time I think that he can have Next year, a little bit crowded of a backcourt. They added to that in the draft, but Tyrese Halliburton's my number seven. Um, gosh, I, I I know that you were a big fan of Tyrese Halliburton Man. coming out of the draft, Chad, and, and he really did a lot of good things last year. I have a full spreadsheet here of guys that we're talking about or potential guys, and, and I highlighted certain areas green that I thought were exceptional. There, there's a lot of green on <laughs> Tyrese Halliburton's um, numbers here when, when you look at what he shot. 47% from the field, 40% from three, almost 86% from the free throw line, averaged over a steal per game, kept turnovers low. And then you go through some of the synergy percentages as well on offense and defense. He checks a lot of boxes. And 
He's not the flashiest prospect. He doesn't have the same level of upside as like a Jalen Green or we could even talk about Kate Cunningham or an Anthony Edwards. But I, I toyed with Tyrese up as high as number four because he's just so efficient and he help, he's going to help the Sacramento Kings win basketball games next year. Uh, offense or defense, whatever you need him to do, his intelligence level, his activity. I think, the, the honestly, he still has much more room to improve. He's not the most elite level of athlete, but I think if he gets more opportunity to take and make more shots, he will do so with a lot better of efficiency. And I think he can be a match for whoever you want to pair him with in the backcourt, whether that's De'Aaron Fox if he remains on the team, whether it's Davion Mitchell if he's sharing the court a lot more with him. Tyrese just fits wherever you need him to and provides so much value and you can trust him as a basketball player to do whatever you need him to do. And that's why he's number seven for me. Great choice. Uh, a huge Tyrese Halliburton fan. He was number four on my board uh, back in 2020. I went crazy on draft night as he kept sliding and sliding to the Kings. I might disagree with your assertion that he's going to help the Kings win basketball games next year because I just don't see in the crowded Western Conference as they're currently constructed how the Kings aren't going to look very different. I think they're going to get better defensively, which is great. I'm just mm-hmm. not sure that that their position in the, in the, in the standings is going to shift too much um, sure. right now. I, I think told you I had here, this is where I had Anthony Edwards um, at seven, just one spot below you. But see Edwards in that four to seven range. All those guys sort of the four to seven range as well. I do have Tyrese Halliburton. I have him a little bit later. As much as I love him, he didn't he didn't quite get that high uh, up on my board. So let's let's move on to eight because I believe this is where you said you had Jalen Green. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, and and Jalen Green could be. I mean, we're still we're in that four to eight range. I don't think there there's much separation up to this point with a lot of these guys. And and obviously Jalen Green's going to have an impact on the offensive end, but he's going to want to play defense as well. And I think Houston just needs more guys who are engaged outside of Jay Sean Tate on the defensive end. That's why the Usman Garuba pick made a lot of sense. Um, that's why, Jay, again, Jay Sean Tate obviously provides that level of value. I think he's going to help Kevin Porter Jr. in that area be a little more engaged as well because Kevin Porter Jr. was, when you go back and look at the numbers and then match that with some of the on-court effort, he was atrocious defensively. There's not much nice I can say uh, about that effort level, unfortunately. But, yeah, Jalen Green's potential two-way impact has me really intrigued, and I want to study him on the defensive end next year as much as the offensive end. But you talked about some growing pains you expected from Anthony Edwards in his rookie year, Chad. I expect some of those same growing pains with Jalen Green as well, just given shot selection, how efficient of an offensive player he can be. Listen, if he puts up averages that are anywhere close to what he did in those two summer league games, then I'm certainly going to be wrong, and he's going to be definitely worth four, if not even potentially higher with some of these guys because anybody who can score and shoot the lights out with his level of efficiency like he did in those two games, that's somebody that NBA teams are always looking for, these dynamic potential two-way level wing prospects. So he's he's there at eight for number me, uh, number eight for me, because, again, I don't think he's going to have that tremendous of a rookie year from an efficiency standpoint, but he can definitely climb higher. This is where at eight I had Cade Cunningham uh, out of Detroit, uh, the number one pick in the draft. I I am tempering my expectations. I was doing it before the draft. I think I took a lot of flack with, with saying, look, you know, this guy is number one on my board. He was number one on my board. I do have him projected as a tier one prospect. I don't quite see the ceiling, long-term ceiling for him, 
that I do for Jalen Green or even Evan Mobley, uh, you know, for that matter. But he's going to be good. I think he's going to be good right out of the gate. I think Detroit's going to feature him. I think one of the lessons from Summer League is that they've got a lot of things to work out right now about how he plays with Killian Hayes, Sadiq Bey, and others. You know, what is his role going to be? I know Detroit fans just want to see the ball in his hands, make him the primary creator uh, on this team. And I don't know that he's that. I, I think it's probably worth the experiment, but I actually think it might be smart for the Pistons to protect him a little bit, continue to let Killian Hayes uh, play that role, even though I was pretty disappointed with the way Hayes played in the summer league, and protect Kate a little bit because I'm not sure that that scouting report that we had of him out of high school has been where he's evolved a, a, as a basketball player. The turnover, the assist-to-turnover ratio concerns me. And I'm not sure that he's not going to be more of a Chris Middleton or Jason Tatum, you know, sort of type of of, of score, secondary ball handler type of type of prospect uh, for Detroit. But with that said, if he's going to shoot the ball anywhere like he shot it at Oklahoma State and he shot it in the summer league, this is going to be a guy who's going to average 16, 17 points a game. He's probably going to have four or five assists a game, four or five rebounds a game. And he's going to have a really, really strong rookie season. If they put the ball in his hands, you know, as the primary ball handler, and he thrives and, and proves Chad the skeptic a little wrong there, then he probably deserves to get bumped up the list. There's also the possibility they put the ball in his hands and that gets exposed. And if, if it mm-hmm. does, then there's the potential that maybe uh, that the Cade bandwagon is going to get a little lighter uh, pr- pretty soon. So it'll be really interesting to see how Detroit decides to play that out. But he's going to get opportunities. He's going to get touches. I think they are going to feature him in every way possible to start yeah. you know, building his level of confidence up. He is the best player on this Pistons roster uh, really right now. I mean, Jeremy Grant, you know, maybe because he's a veteran, but, you know, long-term upside is there. And so I, I, ex- I expect we're going to see good things from Cade. I don't know that's going to be, wow, like 20 point a night type Cade, but I think we're going to have a really good rookie season from Cade. What, what say you? Yeah. So the, the thing that concerns me the most with Cade, and I'm not sure it's the point that gets talked about a lot, but Obviously, Chad, when we talk about Cade coming into the draft, the the jump shooting was a question mark coming out of high school, but it was also really him not being an elite level athlete, having that awesome first step to get by guys. Not everyone in the NBA always has that. Like you can take a look at Luka Doncic, for example, who had plenty of skeptics. Um, But the thing that Luka has in his favor that Cade does not have is Luka's size and his strength. Right, If he gets even a half of a step on somebody, he can hold them on his hip. And when he gets to the middle of the floor, that's a problem. Cade, Cade is not he, – he's tall, but he's not a big guy. He's actually really skinny when you see him up close. When I got to see him out in Vegas at Summer League, I was surprised at how skinny he was. Um, and I think that he's definitely going to need to get stronger and put on some weight to be able to leverage that aspect of doing things off the dribble. Cause yeah, he's never, he's never going to be that elite blow by guy, but he needs to also be able to handle the physical matchups in front of him. And so that's why, I mean, I have him at number 10, so he does make the list, but that's why I don't think that he's going to have as spectacular of a rookie year either. Chad, I think the, the jump shot saves him. Like the fact that he was able to be an elite catch and shoot player in college and then and, and up upwards of like the 90th percentile, like that helps. But his ability to do as much on the ball, I think, as many were projecting coming out of college, 
that's going to be in question definitely this rookie year, and it will be interesting to see how that plays out for him. All right. Uh, that's Cade 10 uh, on his board, Cade 8 on my board. I'm sure there's going to be some Pistons fans that are going to disagree with us uh, on this and certainly have him higher. That means we're to number 9 uh, on your board. You gave us who, who number 10 is going to be, so who's number 9? Number 9 is DeAndre Hunter. Um, All right. and, and that is tied to health potentially him being this higher, maybe even climbing higher. He has had some, some health concerns, some injury concerns, but if he is healthy, he doesn't do kind of like Tyrese Halliburton. He doesn't do anything necessarily sexy on offense, um, but he has become a much better standstill jump shooter. He's a catch and shoot threat. He's another guy. You can run him off the ball in different actions. You can get him the ball in handoffs or, or run him off screens a little bit. He's going to be able to make things happen when he gets downhill because he is not an elite athlete, but he is a, a good to great athlete. But really what sets him apart for me is defensively. He is far and away the best defensive player on my list. And out of all the guys that we've talked about today, um, normally I don't like reading off statistics in bunches, Chad, but if you'd let me, I'd like to just read off some of where, okay. he was, where he was last year as far as synergy percentiles. Go for it. So defensively, he was in the 94th percentile in terms of total defense the 79th percentile in terms of guarding the ball handler and pick and roll, 80th in spot ups, 97th in handoffs and defending the roll man in pick and roll actions, 93rd on jumpers, 96th around the basket, 90th on catch and shoot opportunities and 88th contesting all jump shots off the dribble. Where's the weakness? Like <laughs> he, he doesn't have any weakness in his defensive game. And so when you're able to, have that kind of player on the floor, even though he might only be a third or fourth or fifth option offensively, having that level of a switchable defensive talent. I mean, that again, that's another thing that NBA teams are always looking for in every draft. And Atlanta, it's crazy that he might not get a lot of offensive opportunity, not just in more of his limited skill set from a creation standpoint, but they just have so many guys in Atlanta, period. Packed, but he yeah. fits in that starting lineup because of his defensive versatility and he, he will, we can talk about how much these guys impact winning given that they're so young of players, but his defense does translate and he'll help Atlanta keep winning basketball games in the East. I really like him. Uh, he did not make my list, but I really like him. Part of the reason he didn't make the list was, again, I'm trying to figure out how Atlanta is going to keep all of the guys healthy that they have right now. I mean, that's, it's a great problem to have. Yep. I'm not criticizing Atlanta that they are just ridiculously deep. And in fact, on Thursday, I wrote about a Bradley Beal trade in part because they're probably the only team that I can think of in the league right now that could trade for Beal and may not have to trade a starter to get him. They, yep. they have such a deep core of young players that they have this ridiculous ability to maybe land Beal without gutting their starting five. Uh, and, and in my opinion, probably can even keep DeAndre Hunter uh, out of a deal and and instead, you know, think about Cam Reddish and, uh, and Jalen Johnson yep. and Okongwu uh, and then, you know, throw in Gallinari as sort of a, you know, a guy to sort of make the salaries salaries work. And and then you're talking about potential title contender for the Hawks. Yep. And for Washington, you might get, you know, four, you know, young prospects, which is typically kind of what you want out of this that are all intriguing. I mean, the only thing that for me stops Washington is that none of those guys are sure things. Cam Reddish isn't a sure thing. Kevin Herter's not a sure thing. Okongwu's not. You know, you're, you are trading 
a a superstar for you know a number of guys that that have potential. But I, I actually think it's the most underrated deal that people aren't sort of talking about. Yep. And if Atlanta just really wants to go there, uh, I think they could really go there. And wow, I mean, you're bringing Bogdanovich off the bench now. I mean, you're you're uh, it's there's a there's just a, a really crazy great team that they can have if they want to have it. I had Ty- Tyrese Halliburton nine. We talked about Halliburton and, and and you had him, I think, one spot higher uh, at or maybe was he seven for you or eight? So Tyrus Halliburton was seven. It was seven. Seven. So two spots higher. You said you had Cade Cunningham 10. My 10th guy is Jalen Suggs out of Orlando. After what I saw him do in two and a half-ish games in the summer league, I'm like, okay, that guy's that guy's gonna demand minutes. Whether they want to give him to him or, or not, he's just gonna outplay everybody and get them. And he's just such a force of nature on both sides. He plays so much more mature than his age. Uh, I think he's going to be a, a guy that I think is going to have a great NBA career. I'm not sure that he has the ceiling of some of the other prospects that we've talked about in the draft, but I expect that we're going to have a lot of Jalen Suggs talk, even as a rookie next year. And I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him averaging you know, 16, 6-6, six and six, and also being an absolute defensive menace uh, as well, and 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 being a guy that again, because of opportunity, Orlando does have a crowded backcourt. But I think all of the wait, we have Cole Anthony and R.J. Hampton talk is has sort of disappeared now that they've watched uh, Suggs play for a few minutes. I, I think it was a great great draft pick uh, for them, and it doesn't mean because we're talking about ceilings that I, I'm I'm a little bit higher on Scotty Barnes. I just don't yep. think Scotty Barnes is going to have as big a season. I'm a lot higher on Evan Mobley, but I'm not sure Evan Mobley is going to have that that big season. Uh, Davian Mitchell, I think, is going to be good, but you wonder where the minutes are going to come from for him to have the sort of same impact that he might have been on a team that you know maybe didn't have a point guard. And so uh, DeAndre Hunter, sort of same thing. Are, are the minutes going to be there? Is the role going to be there for him to sort of crack this list? And we probably could mention another five or six guys that you know people could get upset about that aren't on this list from 2019, 2020, and 2021. So just one last question to you, Nathan, before we sort of wrap this up. We kind of talked about, for most of these guys, what we expect from them next season. But let's talk about ceilings for a minute. We talked about this with Zion, that that we think Zion has the highest ceiling of any of these guys that we've talked about um, in, in this podcast today. Who's number two for you in at the end of their career who has the best career out of the 2019, 2020, 21 draft after Zion at one? It, it, pure ceiling, it is Jalen Green. Um, and, and that may be a surprise to you. It might not be. The, the, the main thing why is that every time you hear somebody talk about him or you hear him talking about himself, his, his work ethic, his drive, his demeanor on the court and off the court is really something to be reckoned with. And we, we, we've learned about it through history. You just, you just do not bet against those guys. And the fact that he already is where he is, as talented he is offensively, his drive, the, the fact that he's willing to go out there and also compete on the defensive end. I mean, two-way wings. It, it's, it's why every team would, would, would have probably coveted Kawhi Leonard if he was available in the free agent market this offseason. Obviously, his impact of winning, but just the fact that he competes and he wants it on both ends of the floor. I see some of the same upside for somebody like Jalen Green. I don't know why he, he can't be mentioned among like the top five or six scorers when we get like four or five years 
down the road. He's going to be a special, special player. Uh, I, I agree. I, I don't, I, I actually have jot too. Uh, mm-hmm. but I, I think for all the reasons that you're talking about green could be that, that number two guy in this class. And there's a couple of guys like Evan Mobley, for example, and Scotty Barnes that aren't on my list that I think in three years from now are going to be higher than some of these guys that are on the list yep. right now. Some of these guys are going to sort of top out they're going to sort of move up into that range as well. And, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm also interested and I'm not off the bandwagon yet with James Wiseman as well either. And, (laughs) and you know what, what Wiseman's going to be, he's the classic case of a guy who's on a team that he's just not going to show the same way that he would be if he had been on the Rockets or, or Pistons, it's just not going to be the same for him. And so there's a, I think the one big takeaway that I had when going through this list is we've had three really good drafts uh, of, uh, of talent the the young talent in the NBA right now is really terrific. I'm looking at 2022 as well and seeing a lot of strength there, maybe not oh, like yeah. the same level of superstar strength for me that I, that I saw in this draft, but a ton of guys in the lottery that I think will be significant impact players in the NBA uh, next year. And you know, the, the, the league's in good shape. The, the upcoming guys, are really, really talented. Yeah, the the, the young talent is, is absolutely absurd. You mentioned it. We've had two really deep drafts, not just with star-level talent, but guys who you could see contributing on an NBA team for years and years to come. And, and yeah, when, when going through some guys on 2022, just taking a glance at some top 100s I've already seen come out, like, yeah, I, I like guys going into, like, the 40s and 50s already between freshman international guys and some returning guys that I'm sure are going to have an impact as well. So the NBA – is in great hands from a talent perspective. I don't see that train slowing down anytime soon. It makes it makes our job more fun, Chad. It makes this process just so much more fun when we get th- this is what we get to do. We get to watch these guys. It, it, it's not like we're watching some guy who would rank like 200 or 250 on somebody's board elsewhere. We're watching guys who are always competing for 50 spots. It makes the games and, and the film so much more enjoyable to watch. Nathan, you've been a great guest. It's Nathan Grubel. You can follow him over Twitter at Draft Deeper. Subscribe to his Draft Deeper podcast on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you get your podcast as well. Check out all the work that he's doing. Just a pleasure talking to you about the draft and, and really hope that our listeners will go over and follow your work and, and get another perspective uh, on the 2022 NBA draft that's coming up as well. And Nathan, we'll have you back at some point. In the, in, the, in the season, and we'll, we'll talk 2022 draft as we get into this further. I'm excited, Chad. Just before we leave, thank you again for, for giving me the opportunity to be on your show. I've been a fan for, for a long time. As Rafael Barlow has said on the show as well, it was a dream come true for him, and it's the same thing for me. Guys like you and, and Coach Thorpe, you don't have to always reach out to guys like us and, and offer any support or help, but you do, and that's the kind of people that you guys are, and I respect that seriously. So from the bottom of my heart, thanks for having me on today. Great luck, Nathan, and uh, we'll we'll keep in contact. And uh, just looking forward to to covering this draft with you and Raphael, and you know so many of the other people that are out there. You've been listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Aloha. Uh, 